Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your life or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Today, I come to you from the living room of my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some on some days as the hottest city in America. We are a mastermind type conversation where you get to imagine yourself being the third person as the listener in a conversation where uh, two experts in their respective fields come together and just sort of riff about what's going on and share their thoughts. And you may hear some of the, oh, because that's the mastermind effect. When you have people masterminding, they create solutions, ideas, and plans that are better than the sum of their individual combined efforts. We look to share that through this podcast. We're not your typical entrepreneurial podcast. Uh, We do ask questions. We do share answers. But it's not an interrogatory. And it may take you down some interesting roads as you take your journey and decide that there are avenues that weren't on the original map worth exploring. Today we have with us somebody I've been looking to book on this show for a long time. I'm so glad that we were finally able to get our schedules to align. He's very busy with everything he's doing and a very dynamic individual. His name is Edwin Carrion. He is a God-made millionaire, family-oriented investor and mentor. He's founded several multi-million dollar companies that specialize in real estate development, precious metals, transportation, logistics, investments, and business education and consulting. Talk about multiple streams of income. So uh, he's been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, I can tell you a little bit more about him. He's a highly sought after and renowned speaker whose energy, passion, charisma, and personality have captivated audiences around the world. Edwin's love and passion for living life to the fullest is fueled by three main core values that he gained while serving in the United States Marines, which are honor, courage, and commitment and also helping professionals and entrepreneurs achieve the success they deserve in life and business. He's the author of the book called Nine Secrets for a Successful Life in Business. He's been featured in New York Weekly, CEO Weekly, Entrepreneur Magazine Asia, The Inc. 5000, Veteran Top 100, and many other leading publications. One of his favorite quotes is, I am here to share my knowledge and God-given talent with aspiring entrepreneurs and to address their problems by sharing what I know and learn from experience. So this is all about success in business and life. And Edward Carrion, come on in. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me here. And to everyone listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the part of your world you're listening in. Thank you for tuning in today. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we dive in, I read off a piece of your official bio. I didn't even want to read the whole thing because it's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here in your presence. And this is my show. So I read the official part, but now let's pull back the curtain a little bit. Tell us a bit about your journey, Edwin, and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Okay, Adam, thank you. Thank you again. And uh, thank you for that, uh, that humble, amazing introduction. Mm -hmm. But um, I think you went a little bit overboard because we're all worthy to be with each other. You know, we're all humans. We're all created equal. And uh, I think the only thing that makes me different than anyone else listening or anybody here is uh, there's nothing. It's just the way, the way that I wear my clothes every day and, the, you know, my habits. That's the only thing that makes us different is the habits that we have and the habits that we create along the way. And um, coming from being raised from a single mother, uh, by a single mother, coming from a very humble home, growing up in Ecuador, moving to the United States at young, uh, 12 years old, I think that drive and that passion to become successful, it has gotten me to where I am today. And it's never forgetting what my passion is, never forgetting what my my why was and never forgetting having that faith my god is number one in my life to always confide in to to give me all the desires of my heart yeah yeah so uh you know you've had some as we were sharing a little bit in the green room before we stepped into the interview here you've had uh, some tough times as we all have so tell us a story about uh, a particularly challenging phase in your life and what it taught you and how it helped you ultimately. Okay, you know, um, I'll, I'll tell you one of the ones that, and this, this is the first one on this show that I'm sharing this story because I have, I have done plenty of podcasts and uh, I have never shared this story, but today um, I wanted to kind of come out of the box and say something different. So one of the stories that I can share with you today is um, while I was in the Marines, I was serving in the uh, United States American Embassy in Russia, in Moscow, Russia, as a Marine security guard. And uh, while I was there, my CEO, the person that was in charge of all the Marines in the embassy at that moment, was this gunnery sergeant. And he was from a Mexican descent. But for some reason, he despised people that were immigrants. He despised people that came from another country. And uh, he didn't have a liking to me at that time. And one of the things he said to me, uh, he said that I was going to be the next laundry. So if you don't know what, you know, what, what laundry was or who laundry is, it was a Marine that went to the American embassy in Moscow, you know, many, many years prior to I was there. And um, he, um, he started going out with this girl that she was a spy and gave all these uh, classified secrets to the spies in Russia. So he pretty much told me that I was going to be the same guy that happened there. And to me, that was a big struggle because you know, I always aim to do the right thing. I always aim to do, you know, what's right and, and do the right thing in my life and always moving forward and always progress. And to have somebody that is in charge of you, that is supposed to be your, your guide, your leader, um, the person that is supposed to lead you on the path uh, on the right way, he was against me because of the things that he was telling me that I was going to be and the way that he looked at me because of where I came from and who I was. And I think what at the end of the day nowadays that I look back at that story, what really drove him crazy was realizing how successful I became at such a young age, being 
you know, just just being 12 months in the Marine Corps and then being uh, assigned to the American Embassy in Moscow, which, you know, it took him years to get there, you know, just earning the, the rank of sergeant in, in 24 months versus it probably took him 48 months to earn that title. And, and just so many things like that, that, you know, those are struggles that we face that, you know, if we don't know, if we don't have thick skin, if we don't know how to overcome those struggles, those are struggles because really hold us back for the rest of our lives. And to me, I use that as part of fuel to show and to prove him that I wasn't going to be the next laundry, to show him, to prove him and to prove myself that I am better than everybody else, that I can achieve everything that I wanted to achieve in my life. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny how, and it's interesting that what you said makes me think of this thing, is how some of the programming we get as we grow up, some of the education we get, some of the messages that we receive that may not even be intentional on the part of the person delivering them. So I'm going to share with you a quick story about something that happened, uh, I believe it was in about the fifth grade. We were given an in-class essay assignment. The question was as follows. If you won a million dollars in the lottery, what would you do with it? Okay. So we're going to let that question sit for a second. If I want, if you won a million dollars in the lottery, what would you do with it? Oh, you're asking me that question. I thought well, you were sharing a story of that. Well, actually, you know what? This is interesting. Let's have you answer that question. If you won a million dollars in the lottery, what would you do with it? I would invest it. I mean, that's number one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you greedy, self-centered, arrogant son of a bitch. Why would you invest it? I mean, I mean, that, I mean, that's that, that's so that's so uh, that's so self-centered. That doesn't show any concern for humanity whatsoever. See, that is the message I was given. Because we found out when we turned in our assignments that the only correct answer was to make a list of all the people you'd give it away to and how much, and you had to give away every penny of it. You couldn't keep any. So how dare, so how dare you invest and create wealth for yourself? See, the message that we were being given is that being wealthy, being successful is a form of greed for which we should atone by just giving it all away. And now let's look at the structure of that question. I'll repeat it again. If you won a million dollars in the lottery, what would you do with it? So won a million dollars in the lottery. So what, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're not supposed to be wealthy? Does that mean the only way we get wealthy is by random chance that is almost statistically impossible to begin with? So wealth is for other people. Wealth is not for us. We're supposed to be poor. And if by happenstance, we happen to come into some money, it would be bad, maybe even sinful for us to keep it. So you, the only way to get a million dollars is to win a lottery if you're the typical person. So you weren't born rich, you weren't privileged, anything like that. So you can't, build a successful business and earn a million dollars. You can't have a really successful career and get paid a million dollars. You can't excel as an athlete and get a contract for a million dollars. These things are not available to you. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. And the best part is, is that teacher who gave that assignment was probably not even aware that they were perpetuating that cycle. 
That is true. Yeah. So imagine for many people when they find themselves coming into a bit of money, what do they do? They give it all away because they were told that's the right thing to do. Or they don't feel they should have it. So having the money exacerbates patterns within them that causes them to lose it one way or the other, either through profligate spending or not managing it very well. So it just kind of evaporates. I think as an entrepreneur, you've seen the phenomenon at least once where you got a $20,000 deposit in your business bank account. And then two weeks later, you log in, it's all gone. And you wonder, what the hell happened to that money? I didn't take on any new expenses. Where'd it go? Does that ever happen to you? Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Happened to me. Happened to me last year. I got a cash injection for uh, fifteen thousand dollars, and three weeks later, I'm wondering. Wait, I'm being told that uh, that my business checking account is in the red zone, but fifteen thousand dollars is in there. Where did it go? Well, that woke me up to a number of things because now I began forensically looking at. Well, where did the money go? And it turned out that uh, it was actually that time of the quarter where my routine the payments to the IRS got deducted and some other things that were quarterly payments all seemed to land at about the same time. And then I took uh, I took a nice big distribution for myself personally to cover some things on the personal one because, you know, corporate veil and all that. Uh, and I just didn't uh, I didn't do the one thing I should have done, which was move that money out of the business checking account. So in order for it to be spent, I would have had to have taken an action. And again, beyond that, I candidly became a little lackadaisical about new client acquisition. So my model called for me to acquire at least uh, one new client for my podcast reach system per month. I didn't get one that month. So that's where a lot of the money went. The fact that something didn't come in that would have come in otherwise. And why is that? I don't know. But could it be that there was some mental limit that told me, oh, I'm only supposed to have so much money, even though I don't believe that consciously? Is there something subconsciously still under there? Then I took another look at things and I thought, well, why didn't I get more clients? Why didn't I make more money? Why didn't I have more billables to my retainer clients? And I started looking at what I did during the day and I realized just how damn inefficient I was. Wow, super. Yeah. So now let's uh so now let's take a look, if we will, at the whole efficiency and inefficiency. So when you were when you were growing up, uh were you told were you told about the potential joys of entrepreneurship and the idea of leverage and multiple streams of income? Were you told that was a goal? I wish. <laughs> what, what were you told what were you told as a kid you were supposed to do when you grew oh. up? You know, and, and it's so funny because, again, uh, being raised in Ecuador and then coming here to the United States, uh, it was always get a good education so you could get yeah. a good degree so you could get a good job. And that's what we were taught here, too, by the way. That's what we were taught, you know? Yeah. Get, a, get an education. So pay the money for an education so you can use it to get a job. Yes. A good job, supposedly. A good job. Supposedly, right? supposedly a good job, and and uh, I don't know what the time frame was in Ecuador or what the socioeconomic situation was at the time, but was there also something in there about find a company and stay with them? Yes. And show loyalty. Yes. Yeah, we got yes. that too. 
And uh, and the funny thing is, is I was born in 1976. I'm at the end of Gen X. Um, I, as I like to say, I'm almost a millennial. I'm just a year or two older than those kids. My yeah. experience was actually very similar to the millennial experience. Well, uh, we're about the same age because I was born in 78. So Okay, yeah. So we're about the same place. You're right at the end of Gen X going into millennials. So your actual experience was basically the millennial experience. It just happened a year or two later. Uh, as I, as I like to say, I found out about email my freshman year of college, whereas the typical millennial found out about it in high school. That's, that's really the main difference. Uh, and, uh, and so what was interesting to me is, yeah, I did the thing. I got good grades. I went to college. Uh, did it get me a good job? Okay. Uh, but, uh, but I did end up pursuing my MBA master's in business administration. I graduated, I got that in 2002. I did the job search because my goal was to be a training and development director for a Fortune 100 company. I did the networking, the interviewing. I got two job offers. And in both cases, it was smaller companies that liked the fact that I approached them, wanted to have me on the team, and were actually creating positions for me. I ended up turning them both down because I ended up reconnecting with a previous mentor of mine who at that time owned a small training and development company and needed somebody to work with him on a freelance basis to do some of the back-end stuff for his presentations, uh, how he served his his consulting clients, and also to help him develop source material for his upcoming book. So I did that as a freelancer. I stayed at the job I'd had during MBA school. I got diagonally promoted there. And for two years, I was deciding which way to go until some events that happened that uh, made the decision for me. I've covered this in very graphic, profane details on other episodes of the show. I encourage our listeners to go find those. But at any rate, uh, at any rate, what was funny is when I was doing the job search thing, and I, you know, I reached out to some of my colleagues and my friends I saw around. And uh, one of them said, hey, you know, I've known you for about five years, and you've been working for that company since you started the MBA program two years ago. And I said, yeah. It's like, okay, so you got your MBA, so you're getting out of there anyway. It's like, yeah, kind of. Well, that's good, because if you stay with that company much longer, your career is dead. I'm thinking, what? But aren't you supposed to show stability, no job hopping, loyalty. But see, he explained to me differently. And this is a guy who's 20 years older than me. He told me that in his experience, things had already changed. Where if you stayed with one company in one place for too long, that didn't so much inspire thoughts of loyalty in prospective employers. It actually might lead to questions like, oh, he's working there because he can't get another job? Or what? He's not motivated. He's just sitting there. He's not doing anything. Why isn't he moving around? And that was, I'm telling you about it 20 years later, because that was such a light bulb for me. And it influenced me in another way when it comes to entrepreneurship, which we'll cover in a minute. But, you know, finding this success we're looking for, in your experience, Edwin, to what extent did that involve you running up against paradigms and shattering them? Oh my God, that's, it's crazy because there are so many paradigms and, and the first one goes back into what you were saying is stick to a job, right? Find a job and uh, be good at it. So I think my first job that I had at 14 years old, um, 
I realized right away that that's not what I wanted to do, that I didn't want to work for somebody else for the rest of my life. Yeah. I didn't want to be told what I was worth. And, and it was so simple as my first job was at Winn-Dixie. I think at that time I was making maybe like $5 an hour or something like that. But at the same time, I was washing cars on the weekends and um, I was making $20 washing the car. And right. it took me 45 minutes to wash a car. So I realized that the exchange for time was so much different. And then the big switch at that time was when my best friend came out and he said that we're going to become DJs. And he got us a party that we were getting paid $200 for four hours. So now I'm like, I'm thinking, wow, I'm working here for $4 an hour. And my friend just got us a party for $50 an hour. And this is when I'm 14 years old, 15 years old. Yeah, it was um, real money. So I was like, yeah. what a difference. I'm like, no, I'm like, you know, this is not for me. Working for somebody else is not for me. And I, I think that was one of the pitiful moments in my life that I decided that I wasn't, I wasn't going to work for anybody until I went into the Marines. And when I was in the Marines uh, and going to school, before going into the Marines, I was working for an attorney. The same thing. I was working for like $7 an hour, I think it was. And I had to commute. And it was like in an office the whole day. But to me, it was a sacrifice worth doing because I was going to college at the same time. So, yeah. you know, I figure, hey, this is the hamster wheel that we have to follow through in order to graduate from college and maybe get a good job and start something new. But uh, right after leaving the Marine Corps and I got into the entrepreneurship train and I started my first major company, uh, that's when I really realized, like, it doesn't matter if I make a dollar a day, but as long as I'm doing whatever I want and whatever I like, I'd rather make a dollar a day than to have somebody tell me what I'm worth. Yeah, well, the thing is, if you're making that dollar a day when you have your own thing going on, if you decide a dollar a day is not enough, you can create more. Yes. Your your earning potential is not capped by a range on some so-called performance review. And believe me, I I have disdain for, for performance reviews. I think they're I think uh, I mean because I know how they're they're glorified as some great professional development tool that's supposed to help us. But the but in uniformly, every time I've seen them used, they were used as a form of oppression. Uh, I was actually told once by my supervisor direct, actually two things happened while I worked for that company for four and a half years. So the first half of it, I worked for one supervisor, uh, God rest his soul. He was actually one of my mentors. Uh, and he was the type of mentor where you didn't recognize the mentoring until years later when he actually worked for him, he was kind of a pain in the ass. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so twice, uh, so in the time I worked with him, I went through three performance review cycles. In one case, he told me that he really wanted to give me a 5% raise, and that was the max on the scale. But he had been formed by finance that they only had money to fund 3% for me. So he had to uh, find areas of improvement to justify giving me 3%. But if it was, <laughs> up, to, but if it was up to him. Uh, he had to give me the full five. And since he's dead, I'm not compromising anything here. He made it up to me by giving me a lot of extra days off off the books. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, paid days off that didn't count against my PTO. That's how he made it up to me. Um, now, another time, and this was toward the end of my time working with him, and it was actually right around the time I finished my MBA. So at that point, everything was on the table. Um, he told me that he had wanted to give me a 4% raise. But apparently somebody in senior management had it out to me and they ordered him to give me a 2% raise. 
It's like, okay, okay yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be real loyal here going forward. So, yeah, I did accept a diagonal promotion with that company, but I will tell you I did it because it was a type of diagonal promotion that would move me up on the food chain, uh, take me from uh, take me from an hourly position to a salary position, which would theoretically give me a bit more work flexibility. It'd pay me a little bit more money. Um, the work itself was, believe me, not hard. So where I was headed with this is, this was right around the time that I had finished my process of doing my MBA level job interviews and decide what I really wanted to do was start my own business. I thought, okay. I'm going to milk this sucker for every penny I can before I do my own thing. <laughs> so, as far, so as far as the last two years or so, I had no loyalty whatsoever. I had, I had loyalty to myself. I had loyalty to, they match my 401k. So I'm going to grab every penny of that because I know that for a period of time as an entrepreneur, I might not be able to put away for my future at all because I'll have to reinvest. Yeah. Um, I also looked and, at it as I... And I, let's, I was, and let's, let's rephrase this so, so, so all the listeners could understand when you yes. say that, that you're going to milk everything. Uh, yes. When you talk about milking is that it's gaining as much experience as we can uh, in order for us to use that as leverage somewhere else, right? Because at the end of the day, I mean, even, even if we're still working for somebody, we're still giving our value to them as we're still giving our time to those employers. Oh yeah, I did a good- the things that we need to do. But yeah. when, when you say milking it, so all your listeners understand is that it's not that we're doing something unethical, it's that you were taking advantage by getting as much knowledge as you can so that I think you could leverage that knowledge in the future for yourself, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you know what else? Um, at the same time, I looked at it for, and again, I was coming off very negative there, but I'm glad you jumped in. And and our and listeners, by the way, this is the mastermind principle in action. Sometimes you do jump right on top of each other because you got to say it right there, and it, it and it and accentuates the conversation. So that's the mastermind principle in action. What Edwin just showed you. Uh, so one of the things I and so as I'll let me finish my negative thought, then I'll get to my positive thought. So <laughs> along those same lines. After I finished my undergrad, I'd moved back in with my parents for a bit, and I planned to move out, and then I decided to go for the MBA. So I was doing full-time job and MBA full-time. So it didn't make sense for me to move out because I was never there anyway. I, I was there to sleep. I was about it. So it didn't make sense for me to get an apartment. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even ask my parents to provide me dinner. Just, just, to, just to let me stay in my bedroom, basically. <laughs> so it was no hardship to them. And that, my dad even told me that I cost him absolutely nothing. So he didn't care if I stayed there or not. And he meant that in a loving way. Uh, yes. So, uh, so I also had the benefit of I got this diagonal promotion, more money, more flexibility. I'm maxing out my PTO so I can get a big payout at the end. I'm taking every penny I can in 401k matching. Uh, I don't have rent, so. Uh, wipe my credit cards clean, knowing that was probably the last time they would be clean for the rest of my life if I was to do this entrepreneur thing. Also paid off my car way early. So I'm jumping into this with no car payments. And when I got all those things aligned, it was right around the time when I landed upon an opportunity with my business. Uh, one of my original clients, when it was a side hustle, uh, decided he was going to put on a major conference. And he and his partner in the conference needed somebody to manage it, which basically was like a six-month full-time contract. So I thought, you know what? This gives me six months where I'm not going to be in an office, where nobody's going to give a shit if I'm uh, making calls about getting other clients or other jobs while I'm doing this one. Uh, it's time for me to, it gives me time to uh, have my business shingle fully out to attract new clients. Within that six months, I'll be set if I'm smart. So I'm 
toodaloo. Now's the time I'm jumping. Took yeah. my P- yeah, I took my PTO payment, which when you divided that by four, since I maxed out on my PTO, the amount of money that was there when I divided by four was like continuing to get my existing paycheck for two more months. So even jumping into it, even though I already had new money coming in off this new big contract, which I got a hefty upfront retainer, uh, I was it was still like I was still working at the other company for two months financially. And and uh, this is back in the days before the Affordable Care Act when you could actually afford individual health insurance. So I got a really good comprehensive plan for very little money. Uh, no car payment, uh, no credit card debt. All I had was a student loan. So right around this time is when I got an apartment. That was also part of the plan. Stay at the parents' house until I could do it full time and then get out the earliest opportunity. 35 days I was out of there. So part of a plan, bring it all together. Now the positives. Aside from those, after I got that diagonal promotion, it gave me the opportunity to work on some things that would be translatable. Uh, I was in this, what I worked for was a behavioral behavioral health managed care organization. And the job I got promoted into involved dealing with hospitals where mental health patients covered under welfare wandered in when they were out of state which, you know, they didn't have contracts with my state's Department of Welfare, so uh, they did not qualify for a network, and you had to do individual agreements with them. And it was called the non-participating provider process, known internally as the non-PAR process. I developed a system for getting the people in care management to give me the data I needed to process the agreements that was actually considered innovative because it involved email rather than writing, believe it or not, that was considered innovative. And um, and uh, I was tasked with training all 75 of their care managers on a new process. So remember, it was called the non-PAR process. So I figured out that I could make these trainings more interesting if I could begin by defining non-PAR. And I said, it came, comes with the word non which in French means something, I forget what it was, but also refers to those little chocolate candies with the sprinkles on them, which I then handed out. <laughs> apparently, apparently word got out and people who weren't even involved in the trainings were coming up saying they heard that I they heard that it was a riot. So I used that opportunity to develop my public speaking skills and my training skills, which has been infinitely helpful to me in my in my later pursuits. It also, I also Uh, Learned a bit about uh, negotiating for what I want uh, because these things didn't just fall off trees. I had to convince somebody that I was the person to do it. So it's a matter of finding opportunities that are there. So what I want to pivot to now, and I'm going to turn this now more over to you, is I mentioned when I introduced you that you've been involved in several multi-million dollar companies in fields as diverse as real estate development, precious metals, transportation, logistics, investments, excuse me, investments, and business education and consulting. Multiple streams of income on steroids. You got to tell me how that all came about. Okay, multiple entry. How did it come about? And, and a lot of people, they ask me, how do you choose your business? And, it's, and you understand this better than me, is that, that we don't choose the business, right? The business ends up choosing us. But the opportunities just show up at the right place at the right time. And we happen to be the right person at the right place at the right time. So when I went bankrupt in 2007, 
I didn't have a clue of what I was going to do next. The, the, the economy was tanked. There was no money. There was blood on the streets everywhere. And uh, sure enough, I'm like, what am I going to do next? You know, what is the next thing to do? How am I going to get back at this? Uh, and, and again, putting negative thoughts in my head, thinking that I was a failure, I was a loser, I was never going to make it again until I had the mind shift. And it's so important to have the mind shift, mind shift in our lives that we go from the negative to the positive. We go from the can't to the can. And at that moment that we open our minds, we open our hearts to new opportunities, mm-hmm. opportunities start coming in. And at that moment, that's when the gold buying opportunity came into my door. And it was a good friend of mine from the Marines. And he goes, uh, I have a business opportunity. Do you have any money? And I told him, yes, even though I was broke, but I was willing to listen to the opportunity. And when we open our minds to new opportunities, the right one might come along. And to me, that was the right one. I got into the gold buying business. It was a win-win situation. I knew how to make a lot of money. So I knew the strengths that I had and I knew the weaknesses. I knew why I went bankrupt. And um, in, in less than two years, had 14 stores throughout the United States, created a franchise model, sold the company for millions, wrote a book, Secrets of the Millionaire Gold Buyer, that it teaches people how to make money on a, on a, on a bad economy, on a recession, like we're heading into now. And from there on, the, uh, once I sold the business, I went back into real estate development into doing something that I knew how to do because it was the right time again and I had the capital available for it. And um, I sold that company one more time. Once I sold that company, I got into the transportation business. And again, it was an opportunity that just presented itself. The numbers made sense. Everything made sense. And from there on, I realized that I needed to put um, clarity to each, each of the businesses that I get into. So yeah. now that I have four or five businesses going into at the same time, because people always ask me, you know, I have one business here and I have this business and I have this other business. but they're not successful. And that's the problem that they're trying to do too many things at the same time. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I always tell somebody is that before I got into the development business, I was already an expert in development. So I know how to set up that business. I know how to run the business without even thinking about it. Um, once I got into the transportation business, that's all I did for two years. I just did transportation for two years until I built that company big enough and sustainable and self-sufficient that I was able to step away from that company and build something new. And that's when I built my technology company. So yeah. you, I have multiple sources of income because each one of my companies is self-sufficient, self-run, and I don't have to be working in the business. I work on my business, meaning that I run four companies and I only work like around 20 hours a week because I have an amazing team behind it. And I created systems and I created processes in place to be able to do that. And, and, and I think one of the biggest things is not really defining what kind of business you should go into, but is it, what is it that you're good at? What is your superpower that you could bring into a business and then find a technical partner to help you develop that business that you go into? Oh, yeah. You know, my primary business that I do now is working with entrepreneurs to launch your podcast is their key networking, client attraction, and celebrity expert branding tool. So where I am right now, as of the time we're having this conversation, is I'm in the process of saying, okay, I've got this thing pretty much going at this point. It's uh, it's pretty close to the revenue numbers I'm looking for. I've got really good systems around it where I can crank these out without it being much of a hardship. Um, I'm at a point where 
I can leverage it more because I've got more volume in it. And now I'm thinking, what's the next level? What's what's the next stream of income? And uh, and if you're familiar with the analogy of the rocks, the pebbles, and the sand, and how you fit them all in a bucket, yes. I've got these. I've got these rocks, which are the, the the podcast launch projects. So what are the pebbles in the sand? Now the pebbles are services for entrepreneurs. The sand are gigs I can pick up uh, that may or may not even be related to podcasting, but are something that I can do easily. Uh, without too much effort and do a really good job at uh, short turnaround. So I've got pebbles and sand, but what are other industries I could be in? What are other services I could get in? So my company, the Reach System, is looking into getting involved with virtual summits, book giveaways, and we have we've recently acquired from somebody else a methodology and a template system for doing that, which we're going to relaunch as our own. So that's another place we can go. And I'm also looking into getting into other technologies, other industries, and using existing ventures to fund my way into new ones. But then the question came up of, and, and people were asking me this, okay, well, they're going to see one minute you're doing podcasting, the next minute you're doing virtual summits, the minute after that you're going to be doing, oh, I don't know, basket weaving. They're going to say, this guy's all over the place. He's not a serious entrepreneur. And that gave me pause. Like... Oh my goodness. So if I go on social media and I'm posting about three bi different businesses every day and I have five different business identities and 10 different titles and four different companies, people are going to say I'm kind of scatterbrained. And I, yes. and I took, and I took, and I took that to my business coach, uh, Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach. And, uh, and I told him that story and he said, uh, he, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to say two words to you, Elon Musk. What is Elon Musk known for? For being, uh, he's known for being an innovator. An innovator. So let's go down the list. PayPal, one of the founders. He later sold out and then took his entire buyout and invested in other companies. He's launching things into outer space. He's digging tunnels under cities. He's a uh, you know, pioneer in electric transportation vehicles. And he's pivoting from that into electronic charging stations so that those become economically and, and uh, economically and practically viable. And uh, now, and uh, now, as you see on the news every day, he's uh, gotten pretty heavily into social media. Yes. And is, uh, and is taking a failing platform and it's up for debate whether what he's doing with Twitter is the right thing or not. But, you know, you have to look at his pattern of, taking over companies he buys into them he basically rips them down to the ground and he rebuilds them uh 10 times more efficiently than they were but uh, and the thing is is we don't think he's scatterbrained we think he's first thing you said innovator he's somebody yes. who can't sit still he can't do just one thing exactly. but we don't but we don't fault him for being in five different companies simultaneously you know what the best part is aside from a few whiners looking for attention here and there you actually look at the people who are currently working in some of those other companies and they're not really all that bothered that he's been spending a lot of time with twitter lately because there was a time when he was at their company literally 24 7 as in he slept there he was in yes. it all day long and he spent that time optimizing, priming, and building a team of people who were in alignment with the mission, vision, and values so well that they could execute without him even being there.
and yes. stay in alignment with his vision. He did not. He does not have to micromanage. I predict six months from now, his involvement with Twitter will be going on there just a shit post. He'll have, some, he'll have somebody else running it. He'll have all the innovation done. Uh, it'll probably even look a lot different than it does now. But that'll be it. And he'll be on to his next thing. He'll uh, he'll yeah. spend $44 billion yeah. on something else. Yeah. And you know, the, what what you were, what I thought you were going to tell me that your mentor told you, and when you said two words, I was going to say, who cares? Who cares what people think, right? I, I, think, that, um, I think that was actually part of his message, too. Yes. So, so yeah. I think part of the message is, is who cares, right? Who cares what people think? Because, you know, when people are thinking and people are talking about you, whether it's good or bad, you know, you're, they're, they're talking about you. So that means that you are making noise. Yeah. If they're talking about you. If they're not talking about you, nobody cares what you're doing and nobody cares how many businesses are you running. Then, you know, maybe you're not making an impact. So, you know, people talking about you, it's a good thing. Whether it's good or bad, it's a good thing because now you got people that envy you that they were against you at the beginning and they're saying like that now he has this business why is he doing this and then later on they're going to start following you and trying to do what you're doing right yeah to me i think the most important thing is that from a personal side and this goes out to all the entrepreneurs listening on this on this message right now on this on this podcast right now is that if you want to have multiple sources of income have it but the most important thing is understand what each one means to you and to me, and the way I defined that was my transportation company is my cash flow, my yeah. development company is my wealth creation, my technology company is my pa passive income, my education company is my God-given talent, uh, passing on a legacy, teaching people to become successful, and then I invest with them my own capital. So it's understanding what each one means to you. Oh, that's good. Having its own purpose. That's good. Uh, that's something that even I didn't think about quite at that level, is that each of these businesses is there to serve a valuable but different purpose for your overall picture. Like uh, what, what I'm seizing upon is you said one of them, well, that's for my cash flow. That's what that's what pays my day to day. That's what that's what buys the tickets for me. Yes. Another one is for wealth creation. So this is the foundation you're building for future generations. Another one is you passing along your gifts and talents so that others can be successful, too. So, and you mentioned a couple others. So the point is, is yeah, the other one was everything income. has, yeah, passive income. Hard-earned hard money worked for me instead of me working for my money. Exa exa exactly. So even when you're not working, you're still getting paid. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that is something that, again, the mastermind principle work, I hadn't even thought to articulate in that way, that all, not all of your businesses need to serve the same purpose for you. I even argue that sometimes you should just do something for fun, just yes. for fun. Uh, I'm not saying monetize all your hobbies because there actually are some things you have to do that you just don't make money off of because otherwise now they become this big, complicated thing. But yeah, if there's something you enjoy doing, you can get paid for it. Why not? Exactly. Why not? Uh, another example just came to mind. Uh, a friend of mine, she was a client of mine like 10 years ago, and she is metamorphosized into a major, major force in the business consulting industry. Uh, she has multiple mastermind programs, puts on events, uh, has uh, she has this organization has like 30 employees. She's innovated in the area of launching products and services. I pretty much just revealed who she is. But I saw something she posted about three months ago where she said, did you know that we have an agency that helps entrepreneurs uh, implement our strategies? No, I didn't. I looked into it and I saw what she did. 
at least what it looks like to me from the outside looking in. She recognized that there was another stream of revenue, another way to be of service by not only teaching people how to do the stuff that made her successful according to her model, but to do it for them and to partner with them on it. So she and her people developed this, offered it to their coaching clients, built up a client base and a success track record for it, and then said, hey, guys, did you know we do this? So I may be off by this, and if she hears this and wants to correct me, I will say, yes, I stand corrected. Thank you for amending that for me. But what I think she did is she did it undercover. Yeah. So she didn't have to declare herself as now also being in the services business. She just went ahead and did it. And that's when you see a lot of the biggest breakthroughs when you start doing things because that's what you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm learning actually a lot from you here. So one thing, one other thing I wanted to cover because you gave me three key points you wanted us to cover when we spoke in the green room, one of which was uh, about some of the tough times in your life and what you gained from them, how you overcame them. Uh, and there's actually two more I want to cover here. So we have about 10 minutes and I want to make sure that we do these. Uh, one of which is I want to hear your thoughts on the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. I want to see how Edwin defines that. Yeah, an abundance mindset is knowing that there is an abundance in this world. I mean, when we think about anything, I mean, how many Toyotas, how many, how many Hyundais, how many Mercedes-Benz are there in this world? And we start looking at everything in detail, you know, how many bags of rice, how much food do we have? How much money is there printed in just in the United States alone? Trillions of trillions of dollars. You start noticing that there's an abundance of anything. How many kids are born every single day? And we start noticing that there is abundance. And when we start switching our mindset to that abundance, meaning that there's so much of everything that is enough for everyone, then you start realizing that every time you put yourself a negative mindset, a limiting belief saying that, you know, I can't be successful because of this, or I can't become a millionaire because of that. And you think about the abundance that there is in life, then things start to change in your life. And that's to me what having that abundance mindset means is that there is enough to go around. There is, yeah. there is going to be the perfect woman or the perfect man in your life. There is going to be, you know, the kids that you desire, whether you can have them or not, you're going to be able to have kids if you really want to, because you could adopt, you could, you know, foster kids. Yeah. So there is abundance in everything, of everything in this life. And it's just for you to stop thinking that you're not worth it, that you're not capable, and understand that you were put on this earth to have all that abundance that you deserve and you desire. Yeah. I'm going to give you a level of thinking here. Now, what I'm about to say is not me taking a political position, it's simply me analyzing data that I receive. Uh, Obviously, here in the United States, the issue of abortion uh, has always been a really big deal. And that in the past year, it's become an even bigger deal. Now, there are those who argue that abortion should be banned and, uh, and it's not right to abort the babies because they should be carried to full term because there are so many people looking to adopt. 
And, uh, and I've seen the videos of people going to pro-life demonstrations and asking the people there, okay, so you're opposed to abortion. Uh, would you adopt a kid? And they say, oh, no, I can't adopt a kid. I don't have the money. Um, I don't have the time. Uh, I wouldn't be a right parent. So, but you're saying that other people should be forced to carry their babies and so they can be adopted. But you're saying that you're one advocating for this, but you won't do your part. All right. Now, pause and leave that. On the other hand, I know two people, or actually I knew two people, one of them passed away a few years ago, another one's still around, who desperately wanted to adopt. I'm going to focus on my friend Brad, who passed away about eight years ago, and I remember when I, I knew him well, well in the 1990s, uh, he and his wife were unable to conceive children on their own, and they wanted nothing more to adopt, but they could not get approved for adoption. And there were various reasons, but the one that sticks out is that they were lower middle class. And they said, oh, well, you just don't really have the financial situation to do it, which you know, then goes back to the argument of, well, you know, a destitute single mother, you're going to make her carry the baby to full term and bring it into a, uh, to an underprivileged life. Is that, is that fair to the baby? So again, so many back and forth on this where you really don't know what's right and what's wrong. Uh, so ultimately, Brad and his wife did adopt a baby. Uh, they had to get her from overseas because they were unable to adopt the United States. So on the one hand, you have way too many abortions. On the other hand, you have way too many people trying to adopt and having the system against them because they're not multimillionaires. Seeing some disconnects and you also seeing some opportunities. So, yes. what if so what if your passion is fix the adoption system? Do you, know how much, do you know how much opportunity there is there for education, for public speaking, for consulting, for advocacy, for developing new systems, developing new programs? And it can even be for profit that helps to connect people who want to adopt with babies who need adopted, foster kids who need stable homes. There are just so many gaps there. And if that's your passion and you monetize it, so what if you make money off of it? Because you're now creating positive results that help people. Yes. And, and, and it's okay to monetize. You know, when you provide yeah. a service, when you provide a value to people, people are willing to pay for that. And, and, the people, and people rather pay for that versus get it for free because they know that when they're paying for something, they're getting something more valuable they're getting something with more passion and they are going to value it themselves more versus getting the free knowledge or the free things that are out there and those are the ones that are actually able to move forward do something for that and and, and to me one of the reasons i really started um when i started mentoring many 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 years ago this was back in 2007 2008 I, when i started mentoring there i used to do it for free and i noticed i mentor so many people and, I, and it used to boil my blood that nobody would ever take action. And I would tell them exactly how I did it, exactly what to do. And nobody would ever take action. Because they didn't pay for it. I know they the answer to this one. They didn't pay for it until I really started yep. charging for it. And when people start paying for it, they value it. They realize that there's a value when you pay for something. So if you have a passion for something and you love something, charge for it. There's nothing yep. wrong with it. No, not, not, not at all. Uh, one of the arguments that I make for why you should launch and host your podcast is 
if your offering is a way to connect with people, free strategy sessions, that's about what you're going to get. Uh, you're going to get people who show up because they can't or won't pay for it. They want to pick your brain. Uh, also, no, also, free strategy sh- sessions have up to a 50% cancellation or no-show rate because yes. they're not valued very seriously by the person receiving them. And, and they know that nothing's really for free. See, that's the kicker. They know it's yes. not really for free. They know that maybe during the strategy session itself or maybe as a follow-up to it, they're going to be pitched on something. And they recognize that that's the nature of the beast because people need to earn a living. So they won't even take up on the free strategy session because they looked at their bank account and they just can't afford it right now. So they will miss out on an opportunity to create a connection that could lead to huge dividends later. Whereas interviewing somebody on a podcast like you and I are doing right now, we may or may not do business right away. We may or may not do business ever. Who knows? Uh, we may end up referring one somebody to the other. The, that could happen. But what's important is... We're opening a conversation has endless opportunities. I mean, do you, do you, do you, do you feel, I mean, do you feel better coming to a podcast and having people ask you a bunch of questions versus somebody saying, Hey, Edwin, can we hop on a zoom so I can pick your brain? Yes. Why? Okay. Why, why is you answering the same questions on this podcast more valuable and exciting to you than answering that exact same set of questions if I were to say, let's get on a Zoom for 20 minutes so I can pick your brain, what makes it more interesting to you? Um, to me, it makes it a lot more interesting because I know that we're delivering, we're sharing all this experience, we're sharing all that knowledge with other people that might need the help. Bang! Bingo! That's it right that there. That's it right there. You have a brilliance and a passion for sharing your gifts. And we're having the same conversation as a brain picking conversation would be, but you are now having the opportunity to help more people and handedly getting more exposure for yourself, which could open up new doors for you. And I feel the same way because you'll take this episode, you'll share it with your network and who knows who might latch on to me. It's a mutual assistance society, my friend. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, candidly, I'm not going to meet you in a coffee shop and I'm not going to have a virtual coffee with you ever. Don't ever ask me that question. I'm telling our listeners, do not ask me to hop on a Zoom real quick and do not invite me to coffee, especially not virtual coffee. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> what, you do in, what you do instead is you say, hey, I have a podcast. I'm looking for great guests. Would you like to be on? And I'm going to say, hell yes. In fact, mm-hmm. when somebody, in fact, every so often I do get somebody that will come out and say, Hey, uh, can I pick your brain? And my first question will be, do you have no. a podcast? My, no, my, no. My first question is actually, okay, that'll be $500 for 30 minute session. You can ask me whatever you want. It's like, oh, well, I was about to I say don't... the same thing. Yeah, um, I know. One, I know that. that, that, that yep. Now that you mentioned so many times, you know what, guys, for everyone listening, get rid of picking this brain thing because to yeah. me, that's my blood when I hear that. Uh huh. I pick somebody's brain. If you exactly. Want, exactly. You really want to learn something from that person, you know, pay them for their time. Exactly. So yeah, I know. I, 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 I feel, and I feel you reverberating with this. So yeah, that's my first response is $500 for 30 minutes. And Hey, if it goes 45, that's fine. I'm a generous guy. And you can ask me whatever you want and I'll spill my guts. Yes. And they said, but then, and, and uh, sometimes they pay me, but most of the time they say, Oh, well, I was just hoping to ask you a few questions. And so you know, my next question is, do you have a podcast? And they'll say, yeah. Say, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have me on your podcast. 
You're going to make me one of your featured episodes, one of your greatest hits. You're going to promote the hell out of this episode. In exchange, you can ask me whatever you want, and I'll spill my guts. Yep. That's the, the, reason, the, reason, the reason being is now there's something in it for me. Yes. And that right there, Edwin, is my definition of abundance, is that abundance goes both ways. And by simply changing our mind frames, we can create more of it for ourselves and for each other. Yes. I, const- I could not agree with you more on that. And to everybody listening, abundance is about giving and receiving. Yeah, it's, it's real simple. So uh, we have a couple minutes left before, and I know you have this fantastic gift and I'm going to share it for you. Uh, just over the course of your entrepreneurial journey uh, and your and your journey as a mentor, a visionary, and a helper, what are just a few of the do's and don'ts in general that you've encountered that you would urge our listeners to either make sure they do or make sure they don't? Yes. Um, let me just give you uh, a couple of them from uh, my book, Nine Secrets for a Successful Life and Business. Yeah. Do have faith. Believe in yourself, believe in a higher power, believe in God, have faith. Do not have a plan B. If you have a plan B, you're setting up yourself for failure. And uh, do take action. Do have a business plan. Because if you don't know where you're going, you will eventually get there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just like, uh, just like whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So we are at the top of our time here. And it's funny you mentioned your book because I'm going to tell our listeners right now that that is the gift that Edwin has for you right now. So what I want you to do is um, look in your, you know, look in your show notes and you're going to see, you're going to see the link to this. Uh, You can go into, you can, uh, you can uh, check it out right now. Actually, um, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but uh, Ashley, if you could give us the link real quick to, because what it is, it's the opportunity to get your book for free. Could you give us that link real quick? Um, yes. Uh, the link is Edwin Carrion, my website. Yep. So if you just go to edwincarrion.com, uh, there'll be a pop-up that will give you access to the book. Or you could go to Edwin Carrion forward slash nine secrets. Edwincarrion.com forward slash nine secrets. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that twice and I'm also going to spell your name. So it's www.edwincarrion.com forward slash nine secrets, edwincarrion.com forward slash nine secrets. Edwin's name is spelled E-D-W-I-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N. Again, go to our website, find the episode, look in the show notes. You'll find it. You get this book, Nine Secrets for a Successful Life in Business. It's free. You're going to learn how to balance your life Value yourself for living in business, ensure your success, level up your achievements, and find a new approach to exceptional faith and a startup to millions. I got to tell you, I think I'm going to grab me a copy of this too, because I am curious. So again, that's edwincarrion.com forward slash nine secrets. And with that, Edwin, thank you so much, so much for being here today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. No, Adam, thank you for having me here. Thank you to everyone listening today. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. 
Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.